John 14, 1 through 20. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you, may, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do, not, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Amen. Well, welcome everyone once again. It's good to be with you. My name is Johnny Morrison. I am one of your pastors along with Heather here at Missio. If you're new, as Heather said, it's so good to have you. We are in a series right now entitled Breathe. And throughout this series, what we're doing is talking about the work, the activity, the life of the Spirit of God. And last week, I started with a preface to this series that I just want to reiterate as we jump in today, and that is this. In this room and in this community that we call Missio Dei is a diversity of theological traditions, understandings, and ideas about the Holy Spirit. And the reason I say that is because when we talk about the Holy Spirit, it's one of those topics, it's one of those things within theology that can elicit strong reactions, strong arguments, because it's so deeply connected to our loves and our experiences and our histories. And so within this room, you have people who fall on a full spectrum of understanding, people who grew up or come from really charismatic traditions that have a high emphasis on encountering the Spirit or have a high emphasis on encountering the Spirit in emotional ways. And in this room, you have people who come from a tradition and experience that talks about the Spirit in deeply mysterious and mystical or even cautious and reserved ways. 
And the reason I name that is, one, because we are a community of people, and it is one of the beautiful things about us, is that there is this diversity of traditions, but also because none of us have this thing figured out. All of our God talk, at its very best, is provisional. We are finite beings trying to express the infinite. And so if we think that we are so certain in our knowledge that we know what we're talking about, just stay around long enough, I think. These are mysterious conversations. We are talking about the divine. And so to have these conversations well requires a deep amount of grace and humility for ourselves and for one another. That as we engage this conversation together, let's do it like family, recognizing that none of us, including me, have this figured out. We are on a journey of understanding, developing uh, imagination for the work and the life of the Spirit in us. And for some of us, that will be challenging and even frustrating. And for others of us, that will be encouraging. And we'll share these moments together like a family does if we can do it with grace and humility. So that's the preface. And then last week, we moved into our conversation about the Spirit by just laying some big foundation ideas. I'm not going to rework all of those ideas. Uh, If you missed the episode, you got to go watch it yourself. Uh, But the big overarching summary is this, that Jesus has sent the Spirit, and the Spirit is on Jesus' mission, continuing the work of Jesus to empower, to energize, and to help us participate in the work, the life, and the love of Jesus. So broad frameworks to understand what the Spirit is doing. And then today, what we're going to do is dive into John chapter 14 that Meg just read for us, where Jesus is having a conversation about the Spirit with his disciples. And here's the big idea today that we'll explore. The Spirit is our companion on the way. The Spirit is our companion on the way. I don't always tell you what my hope for a sermon is, but I do want to tell you what I hope happens today. As we have this conversation, my hope is that we would see the Spirit as for us. Maybe not the most lofty goal, but I do think it's very important. That we would see the Spirit as for us. That we would see the Spirit of God as an agent of love and as an expression of God's love, that we would understand that the Spirit is with us, speaking over us words of kindness and encouragement and truth to guide us on the way of Jesus. It's a simple idea, but the reason I I want to emphasize that's my hope for today is that for me, thinking of the Spirit in this way has been totally transformative to my understanding of what the Spirit is doing and who the Spirit is. I think for so much of my life, I thought of the Spirit in pretty uh, depersonalized ways. Like you go to Acts 2, and you read about this moment where the Spirit falls on everybody in the Pentecost story, and it's beautiful, and it's amazing. And my imagination for Spirit then became like, oh, that's what Spirit does. These weird encounters where people speak in other languages, and then Spirit's gone, and we wait for another one. And I remember thinking, I don't know if you've ever had this thought, but I remember thinking, uh, maybe in my 20s, early in my faith, I was like, I just wish we could have kept Jesus around. 
It's okay if you thought that. I'm just confessing it right now. Like, there's moments where I was like, I just wish there was the flesh and blood human that I'm supposed to be following. Like, I have all these questions about faith, and Spirit is not giving me very clear answers. And so I just wish I could ask Jesus himself. And you might be like, well, that's the Bible. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't know how to read. I just wish, like, Jesus was here in the flesh. Like, why did he have to leave? This Spirit thing is complicated and confusing and if it's only showing up in these moments, like where's the intimacy in the personal encounter? And what's interesting about that feeling is that this is exactly the conversation Jesus is having with his disciples in John chapter 14. John 13, 14, 15 are a set of passages that mark Jesus' final moments with his disciples. In John 13, we get the story of Jesus washing his disciples' feet, having the final meal. He uh, predicts that Peter will betray him. And then in John 14, what Meg read for us this morning, Jesus begins to prepare his disciples for his imminent death and burial, resurrection, and ascension, his departure. And these are heavy words for the disciples to process and to understand, and Jesus had been preparing them for a long time. This isn't new content, but it is imminent content, right? He is moving this way in a matter of hours. And so Jesus tells his disciples in verse 1 through 4, don't be troubled. I know this is hard to hear. I know this is scary. I know this is uncertain, but don't be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. And then he tells him, my father's house has many rooms. If it wasn't the case, I would not have told you so, or that I was going to go and prepare a place for you. When I go to prepare a place for you, I will return to take you with me so that you will be with me too. But in the meantime, you know the place that I am going and the way to it. Jesus is like, I know this is a strange and hard teaching. I'm going to leave. And it's good news that I leave. It's good news that I go. I'm about to ascend to my Father. I'm going to take my throne up. I'm going to prepare a place for you. It's good news, but I recognize that I am your friend and your teacher. And so this is hard news. So don't be troubled. You know the way, the place that I am going. I just feel like there's such kindness in this moment, Jesus preparing his disciples. But as he says these things, as he tries to encourage his friends, our old friend Thomas, uh, who is often referred to as Thomas the Doubter, says, Lord, uh, we don't have any idea where you're going. So how can we follow you there? And I think this is the moment that the face palm was invented. <laughs> I just Googled Jesus face palm and it came up immediately. Jesus is just trying to encourage his disciples. You know the way. You know this, this story. I've been preparing you for it. It's okay. And Thomas is like, hold on a second. Where are you going? Can you send us your address, like a Google link or something? I... And what does Jesus say? Jesus answers with one of the most famous teachings that he's ever had. One of the things that we say the most, and I think the context of when Jesus says this is so fascinating. Here's how Jesus responds to Thomas. He says, 
Thomas, I am the way. The truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I think it's just interesting to read that statement in the context of what Jesus is saying. Jesus is trying to encourage his disciples. He says, you know the way because you know me. Thomas, you know how to get where I'm going because you know me. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. We're in relationship together. Do not be troubled, friend. Trust me. These are words not to theologically browbeat someone. They are meant to encourage someone who feels uncertain and lost. Jesus is trying to comfort his disciples, encourage them on their journey. They know the truth. They know the life. They are on the way. It's called Jesus. And maybe that gets the message home. Maybe they'll understand. But then all of a sudden, Philip says, Lord, could you show us the Father? Like, I know that you just said these things, and that's cool, but like, how about a sign? How about a miracle? How about some demonstration? Just show us the Father, and that will be totally enough. It'll be fine. We'll be be cool. No more questions. Again, literal facepalm. So Jesus, again, in kindness, speaks to the disciples and reminds them of all the things that he's told them and all the things that he's taught them on this journey. Jesus replied, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been with you all this time, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Philip, it is me. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I'm the image of the invisible God here with you. Now, I love this moment so much because it is so human to me. It's easy, I think, to make fun of the disciples and to criticize the disciples, except I think I've had all of these same questions and frustrations and thoughts. This is a hard time to be a disciple of Jesus. You've just Learn. I guess you've been learning for a while, but you're hearing once again that your rabbi, your teacher, your friend is going to leave you, leaving the future so uncertain. And so if Jesus is leaving, like the disciples just want answers. They just want clarity. They just want some certainty. Like, Jesus, we've been doing this thing with you for three years. If you're going to bounce, can you at least leave some tools? Can you at least send us your address? Can you give us a sign? Can you give us some kind of certainty? This is exactly what I want when life feels uncertain. When my anxiety begins to bubble up within me or something happens in life that causes this sense of like, I don't know what's coming next. I want answers. I want a sense of certainty. I want a sense of control. I want life to feel a bit more black and white than Jesus has often left it to be. When life begins to feel uncertain for me, I want certainty. I want God to step in, take the wheel, 
gives him control. I am, whether I like to admit it or not, just like the disciples. I struggle, and I think sometimes don't want to accept the way that God works in the world. I struggle to make sense of it, just like the disciples, and sometimes I just don't even think I want to accept what Jesus is doing in the world. When Jesus first tells his disciples that he is going to die, this is in Matthew 16, Peter, his like, you know, most famous disciple, comes to Jesus, pulls him aside, and rebukes him. And he's like, Jesus, you're not going to die? That's not how this works. That's not how messiahs live. That's not how heroes of the story overcome the enemy. They kill, they don't die. And Jesus very famously says, get behind me, Satan, to Peter. Could you imagine? I think I would just leave. (laughs) Disciples constantly struggle to understand what Jesus is doing in the world. They want answers. They want certainty. They want a sense of black and white understanding. They want control. Life is uncertain. It's the same thing that I want. We struggle, I think, deeply to understand or to accept what Jesus is doing. And in light of our conversation today about the Spirit, I think because we struggle to understand how God is at work and why God is at work and what God is doing in the world, we often struggle to listen to or pay attention to the Spirit. We said last week that the Spirit is on the same mission as Jesus, working in the world in the same way as Jesus. And to think like the disciples, we want easy control, we want senses of certainty, and we want signs. And instead, Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth, and I am the life. Instead of coercion or control or even a sense of certainty, Jesus offers himself. And that is beautiful news. It is Good news, because certainty never truly satiates anxiety. But it is a hard learning, and it requires a bit of a re-discipleship. I think maybe that's what it means to be on the way with Jesus, is to not be troubled and to trust God, because everything in me wants to seize control and to find a sense of certainty, just like the disciples. So this is the context of John chapter 14. The disciples are nervous and afraid. They don't like this story that Jesus is telling them about his departure and his exit. They want certainty. They want answers. And Jesus is trying to draw them into himself. And it's in the context of this conversation that Jesus begins to talk about the Spirit with them. If you skip down to verse 15 through 18, Jesus says, If you love me, You will keep my commandments. You will follow me. You will stay on the way. And I will ask the Father, and he will send another companion who will be with you forever. This companion is the spirit of truth whom the world can't receive because it neither sees him nor recognizes him. But you know him because he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. 
The disciples are afraid and uncertain because of Jesus' departure. And he begins to tell them in this triune, line-blurring moment that the Father will send a spirit and I will be with you, but it will be the spirit. And this spirit will be your companion. Different translations of the Bible use different words to describe the spirit in this moment. So the translation I'm using right now is the Common English Bible uses the word companion, which I really like because it images someone coming alongside of you. The NIV, which was read for us at the beginning, uses the word advocate, which is a beautiful word. The King James Bible, for the old charismatics in the room, uses the word comforter. And this is maybe my favorite. Eugene Peterson's translation, the message, just uses the word friend. That I'll send you a friend. There's so many different words here. And so many different ways of translating this Greek word. Because the Greek word here, which is parakletos, has a large domain, which just means it can be used in a lot of different ways. It can be used to describe a comforter, a helper, an encourager, an advocate, a friend. And so I spent some time this week just trying to research how it got used in its original context. And in one of the lexicons, a Greek lexicon, which is like a Greek dictionary, it has this uh, sort of listing of how this word was used. It says, Parakletos, or comforter, or companion, often describes someone who helps by consoling, encouraging, or mediating on behalf of. That's kind of its first description. But then it goes on to say something really beautiful that I have not been able to get out of my mind. The lexicon goes on to say that idiomatically, or culturally, how this phrase was used in its cultural context most often is one who falls down beside us. That is to say, an individual who, upon finding a person collapsed on the road, kneels down beside the victim to care for his or her needs and to carry him or her to safety. Or, now watch, this is wrecked me, commonly used to describe one who mothers us. I don't know what to do with that. That is so beautiful to me. Jesus has just told his disciples, I will not leave you as orphans, but I know that you will be afraid. I know that you will feel uncertain. I know that you will feel troubled. I know this is going to be a difficult season for you as you try to journey with me on the way. And sometimes you will fall, and sometimes you will get bruised, and sometimes you will feel isolated, and sometimes you will feel alone. But trust me, I will not leave you as orphans. I will send to you my spirit, who is your friend, your comforter, your helper, your advocate, your companion, who will journey with you on the road and like a loving mother will speak over you truth, will heal you, will aid you, will bind you up, will sometimes carry you on this journey as you follow with Instead of control or coercion or even certainty, Jesus offers his nurturing, healing, kind presence.
When we feel alone, the Spirit companions with us to show us that we are never alone. When we feel lost, the Spirit comes alongside to remind us that we are on the way. When we fall on the road, the Spirit kneels down beside us to care for our wounds. Paul says when we don't know how to pray, the Spirit prays for us. Paul says in Romans 8, that when we don't even know how to cry out to God, the Father, the Spirit comes to our heart and reminds us that, yes, we are indeed adopted and loved and wanted. Or as Paul prayed in Ephesians that we collectively prayed together, the Spirit strengthens us to know that we are loved. The Spirit is our companion on the way. Guiding us into the life and the love of Jesus. Missy, I don't know where you are today. And again, I don't know your tradition, your theological orientation, how you imagine God or how you have been taught to view the Spirit. But my prayer today is that we would begin to see the Spirit the way Jesus tells his disciples to see the Spirit. It's the companion on the way. The one who comes alongside of us to speak truth and encouragement and kindness over our lives as we pursue and follow Jesus. So can you name in your own life where you need a companion? To come alongside of you? In a moment, we're going to gather at this table to taste and to see and to practice that God is present to us in his servant and his spirit. But as you come to this table, I guess the question I'd like you to bring with you to it is where do I need the spirit to be my companion? Where do I need the Spirit to ease my need for control or certainty or coercion? Where do I need the Spirit to speak over me kindness and encouragement and belonging? Where do I need the Spirit to welcome me home or bandage my wounds as Jesus promised? Would you bring that question with you, that prayer with you as we continue to worship together? Would you bring it to the table and invite the Spirit to be present to you. I think it takes some learning to see the Spirit in this way. It's different than control or certainty. It's not always black and white. Sometimes it's a voice that is still and small and coming from the side. And so we use this moment as a chance to practice listening to the companion who is guiding us on the way to Jesus. Monsieur, let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you have sent your Spirit. And today, God, as we just talk about your Spirit, as we read these words from John 14 and hear what you have to say, Lord, I just ask that you would shift the way we think and the way we imagine your work in us. 
I think it's been just been really healing for me to hear that you are a companion who comes alongside of me. To be kind, healing, even nurturing. So Spirit, would you meet us in this room, wherever we're coming from, whatever questions we are wrestling with, and would you companion alongside of us? Would you speak over us love and life? And to those who feel alone, would you show us that we're not? To those who feel lost, would you show us that we are on the way of Jesus? And would you encourage us in this way? In your wonderful name we pray. Amen.